Good morning to all you home cooks out there. Uh, you're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And I would say that our two guests today will demonstrate that or acknowledge that even in the best of kitchens, things can go awry. Can go awry, that's a good word for you. But um, the optimist, Casey Joy Garcia, has a solution for all of you who work numerous jobs, including preparing dinner every night. Uh, she has a book out called Cook Once Dinner Fix. Quick and exciting ways to transform tonight's dinner into tomorrow's feast. So with her style of planning, uh, you could get a lot of mileage out of the, the time you spend preparing a meal. Let's listen to Casey Joy Garcia. Well, you know, just when we need it, <laughs> we have Cassie Joy Garcia, um, who's written a book that's going to help us all get through that what's for dinner every night. It's called Cook Once, Dinner Fix. Um, but Cassie, you, you have a, an interesting backstory. You also uh, have a, a, a blog, is it? Yes, yep. I've got a Fed and Fit is the website. I started blogging there a little over 10 years ago. Yeah, you said that nobody uh, knew what it was when you started. <laughs> well, think of this. We started the podcast in 2004, and nobody had a clue what it was. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is. You still, you definitely had to explain what y'all were doing. I know, that's for sure. We, 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 got, we got launched with the help of a local radio station, and they knew what they were doing. Yeah, they did. Oh, so now, um, Cassie, uh, which, by the way, it has to be one of my favorite names. I've had so many good friends named Cassie. Um, you, you came to this concept, um, which is basically a, a high, a sophisticated nutrition, um, because of your own travel um, through trying to find a, a peace with your your uh, body and your health and your mind. Tell us a little bit about that background. Hey, I'd love to. So I started Fed and Fit as a way to share some of the my more challenging to acquire lessons learned in my health journey. I was in my early 20s and just was in what became clear to me in more and more increasingly poor health. And I was following the conventional diet of the time without a whole lot of lasting success or anything that I was able to really put in my pocket or integrate into an ongoing lifestyle. And so I thought, you know what, well, I'm, I, I think I can be pretty smart about this. Let me just dig into the literature myself and see what I can find. And what I found was, this idea of inflammatory versus anti-inflammatory foods. And it really started to fascinate me. And I thought, gosh, I wonder if I fill my plate with more anti-inflammatory foods and I try to start avoiding some of the ones that are maybe causing more inflammation in the body, I wonder what could happen. And it it really turned a, a huge page in my life, uh, in my health journey over, 
I was able to reduce a lot of inflammation in my body, knee pain, hip pain that I did not realize were chronic and ongoing and also optional went away. I started sleeping better at night, having more energy through the day. And I, yes, my body composition started to change, right? I started to lose some weight. But at that point, I didn't care about weight. I was just excited about how great I felt. Oh, and I didn't that's want wonderful. To, I didn't. Yeah, it was great. I didn't want to give that up. And so I started Fed and Fit as a way to share recipes that I was creating to turn this from a nutritional experiment into a really lasting lifestyle. Well, you're doing that. I mean, you're, you're, um, your online identity is Fed and Fit, right? That's correct, yes. So it's Fed and spelled out fit.com is the website because you have even in this cookbook you have uh, references to more information um, uh, in addition to the cookbook uh, on your website and and you keep that pretty um, vibrant right i do yeah we do we try to keep it pretty chock full of really helpful recipes healthy lifestyle tips and the way that i like to approach health and wellness is to essentially present you all of the tested, trusted options, and then you choose what's right for you. Because I'm of the, as a holistic nutritionist, even, you know, as that is my profession, I still believe that you know your body best, your family best, your needs best, and so you're going to be the best equipped to choose, you know, the right recipes, dishes, and methods for you and your household. Now, how but, did you how did you develop all of this? Was it was it something that started when you when you were with the family you grew up with, or did you in, invent it just out of the blue? You know, uh, fed and fit in general, and the recipe development. I I grew up in the kitchen with my mom, and I actually she brought me a copy of my new book up uh, to my desk this morning, and so I could sign it, and I signed it. You know, you really taught me everything that I know in the kitchen, and I hope you flip through these pages with a sense of pride from that perspective. And that's really true. And so my love of cooking and the connection and the joy that comes from assembling fresh ingredients into an opportunity to gather with loved ones around a table, that connection was definitely, you know, really fostered and uh, poured into you by my by my mom and then uh, and I did I was I mean I was still pretty young in my early 20s and I had uh, a entrepreneurial spirit uh, definitely in my blood both my parents are entrepreneurs as are both of my sisters and so you know dinner time conversation and talking about gosh I wonder if I should turn this into a website and the website started taking off and gosh I wonder if I should lean into this a little more and provide people with you know, more answers and more creative solutions to some of the more perplexing daily problems in the kitchen we face and was just uh, really met with a lot of support by them. Well, now, I mean, just for our listeners' benefit, if, if they would doubt um, the, the necessity of your organized approach to eating in life, um, you are a full-time um, professional nutritional um what, what do you call it? Um, nutritionist, but holistic, holistic nutritionist. And you are the mother of two, about to be 
a mother of three. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so you have you have to get organized, and you have to make things as easy as possible if you're going to get through any day, every day. Yeah, there's really no other option. And I'll tell you, you know, I used to think that, uh, gosh, I thought I was organized <laughs> before before I had uh, small children. And there's something about, especially dinner time, you know, there, that my I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and there's that hour before dinner time is when they just so happen to need me the most. And that's also when <laughs> that's the truth. I wonder why. Yeah, right when you've got the cutting board out and the thing sizzling on the on the stove, you know, right when <laughs> I need to be able to cook and prepare a meal for them the most. And so it really caused me, and I kept thinking, gosh, I can't, surely I'm not the only one, you know, who's <laughs> confronted by this uh, dinnertime rush. And then what winds up happening is, pull together a meal, the kitchen's a mess, I probably missed a thing or two, and I'm plating dinner from a rushed perspective instead of a really, you know, that spirit of here's an opportunity to gather as a family, you know, a more joyful heart. And so set out to really rethink how do we approach dinner time so that it's easier on whoever's doing the cooking. And now it, you, you have so much information packed into this book. Um, and you say that the recipes were built by a nutritionist, so you have all kinds of recommendations for um, vegetarian, dairy-free, grain-free, gluten-free, low-carb um, with the, each of these recipes. Um, the, you also have meal plans, which I've actually never even accomplished that, um, and I couldn't find the shopping list. Where are the shopping lists? Those are over on uh, cookonce.com, and you probably couldn't find them because they okay. weren't up until Saturday. They're pretty fresh. Okay. All right. So that's, as I indicated, some things are in the book, but there are other things to check on that are on the website. Yes. Right. Okay. So that's That's and, why we couldn't find them. Huh? That's why I couldn't find them. She gave me the book and said, Rabbit, find the, find the recipes. <laughs> well, no, anyhow, no, but, but on, on the, um, uh, this is all under You Want More, and, and that's the information, like we'll call it supplemental uh, information on cookonce.com, which includes the uh, uh, 10 weekly meal plans, shopping lists, substitution tips, and and. Are these videos, the method demonstrations? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. exactly. Just kind of uh, an ex- examples of how to pull together more straightforward meals. Great. Now, um, you may be talking to the wrong person here because one of my favorite, my favorite foods is leftovers. <laughs> I mean, so I I don't think there's anything wrong with leftovers. I love them. (laughs) But I guess a lot of people don't. There isn't anything wrong with leftovers. I mean, if I I had leftovers like the ones that are in this book, I never would cook an original meal. I love yeah. that. I, you know, I'm I'm a fan of leftovers. I'll, I will eat leftovers for lunch, but there's something about I don't know if it's the two kiddos or the the partner, uh, my husband, that you know they just 
they get seem, tend to be a little bit more excited when there's something different. different. And so, you know, it's a little of both, you know, and even if it is a leftover, how do we incorporate something fresh into this meal? Uh-huh. So, um, now, you also have um, tips on ways to save time and effort. Um, and uh, I think that their report, you embrace special equipment too, though, don't you, like the Instant Pot? I do. You know, I'm actually really picky with special equipment that I will fully embrace and endorse because I really like a somewhat minimal kitchen. I prefer to, you know, have I, – I don't like single-use gadgets, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I would rather yeah, have Nobody does, really. I mean, unless right. it's, you're, you're quirky. I mean, there's some people who like to collect kits of gadgets. Uh, gadgets. I have a cousin that will have anything, you know, <laughs> single use. But most people like to keep things pretty minimal, right? Yeah, I would think so. I'd rather have something that I can use over and over again. And the Instant Pot does fall into that category. I find that because of the ability to sear in it, pressure cook, slow cook, uh, amongst a couple other options, it really cuts down on time, particularly the pressure cooking. If you're making, for example, a large roast, it's a really great way to speed up that time between the raw ingredients and having something that's ready for dinner. Yeah, I, I've never, I have a, a multi-cooker I've never used. And, uh, I mean, it, to me it's like, it feels like learning how to cook all over again. The same could be said about my um, air fryer. And yet everyone raves about them. How do I get into these things? You just got to jump in. I say try, and I have it. I was resistant to my air fryer also. I'll be totally honest. And I made, gosh, what was it, chicken nuggets in about nine minutes, flat chicken strips in nine minutes. And I couldn't believe how delicious they were. It actually came together faster than in the oven. Uh, and they were even crispier. And I didn't have to fry them. And so I would find a recipe that sounds intriguing to you or a, or a finished product that you think sounds simple and straightforward, something to build up your confidence with any new gadget or any new method and, and see if, try it on for size. Yeah, well, I mean, I have some, um, some uh, okra that I was eyeing up because I'm not a slime fan, and I was thinking mm-hmm. that that might be something good to try in the air fryer. That sounds like a great idea. I would cut those okras long, lengthwise, you know, into some little okra French fries and see what see what comes out. How long? See, that's always the question, how long. Oh, gosh. Where would I start? Um, okra, I would probably go about 325, maybe for anywhere between 5 and 10 minutes. And that's the beauty of the air fryer, though, is you can take them out and shuffle them and shake them and check on them. Unlike oh, yeah. how an oven... You know, an oven, you really need to put it in and and close the lid, right? Um, And you're going to let out a lot of heat if you open it up. That's true. An air fryer, right? An air fryer, I found that you can actually check on it more often throughout the cooking process. Well, um, you have here um, all these tips and stuff about where to start. You you have 12 time-saving kitchen tips. Did you run us through some of those? Yes, my favorite time-saving kitchen tips. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm i going to pull up the book and make sure that I've got the right ones in front of me. 
11, um, page 11. Yes, got it. I flipped right open to it. The the book gods were smiling on me. Um, (laughs) One of my favorites is, I'm not sure if you've got a stand mixer. I actually wind up using, I have a stand mixer in my kitchen, and I love it, but I find that I only use it when I'm baking for the most part. And truth be told, that stand mixer is incredibly helpful for shredding proteins. And it's going to make well, it something that's what you said. I couldn't believe that. I have to try that one because I couldn't believe how it worked. Oh, my goodness. It is a real game changer. You know, instead of sitting there over shredded a plate of chicken that you're shredding with two forks, uh, put your paddle attachment on. And it must be the paddle attachment, not the whisk. Right. Onto your stand mixer and put it on there under low. And I'm, I'd be at 15 to 20 seconds. I have shredded up to six pounds of chicken breast in less than a minute. It is incredibly fast. If you go, if you, if you push it a little bit long, then, you know, you're going to wind up with really, Push. really finely shredded meat. Yes. And so I say don't, don't go too long, but it can really help save a lot of time. Well, that's one. You also can mash. You know, I still actually, I have to admit, I have one of those, you know, those old-fashioned masher things. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, the mashing while you go, you know, when I have a uh, ground beef, for example, uh, is that what you're talking about, like a potato masher? Yes. Yes, that's my favorite way to cook ground beef while it's in the pan. Instead of using a spoon or a spatula to break up the meat as it browns and crumbles, I will use just one of those little S-shaped metal potato mashers, a really simple one, and we'll use that to break up the meat as it cooks, and that really helps. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, you, you you make a lot of um, – gave me a lot of ideas about – what things to cook ahead or make ahead, and what's essential pretty much to make fresh. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting section. And then the other thing, I, my most valuable kitchen appliance is my freezers. I have multiple freezers, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you, you actually extend, expand on what kinds of things you could freeze. You, 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 you think you can freeze just about everything, right? I, I like freezing. I'm with you. I think freezers are incredibly powerful and helpful tools for the person who's trying to be more efficient in the kitchen. And I, too, have a lot, quite a bit of freezer space that I know not everybody has, uh, but I lean, I lean into this. And I think that there's a lot that you can freeze that might surprise you. Um, and it's a great way to really save on groceries. So, for example, let's say if you're walking through the produce section of the grocery store, if you're making it out to the grocery store in person again, uh, is to the center aisles, for example, is usually where a lot of uh, grocery stores will showcase on-sale produce. And produce that's on sale is usually such because it's possibly it's local, so it's near you. It all became ready for harvest at the same time, and so there's an abundance of it. And so it's such a great opportunity to grab local, near-you, affordable, more affordable produce. And I say grab a bunch, take it home, whatever it is, wash it, chop it, and let it dry completely, and then pack it up and create your own frozen stash of fruits and vegetables. Right. Well, you, well, you have do, a. Oh. You, you do that, sweetheart. 
I mean, I do. And, I do. And she she free, freezes blueberries and serves them throughout the year. Cherries, pet them same and with, freeze same them. With, same with cherries. Same same with Asian pears from an Asian pear tree in the garden. And we have a tree that produces so many pears. There's no way of eating all of them in one sitting, <laughs> you know, one season. But um, yeah, and and I, I've learned a good thing is um, you you like citrus squeezers too. But you know, I one of my favorite things to do is um, you, you wash and dry whole. Uh, citrus, I mean lemon, lime, and you just put them in a the freezer bag and freeze them. And then when you want to use them, usually your your lemons are rotten when you go to use them. But here you just pull them out. I did one for tonight's scampi. You pull it out, you stick it in, in the microwave for like a minute or less, and then you have fresh a fresh lemon. That's brilliant. I have never, ever thought of that, and I love it. It's great. I mean, I swear by it now because I got so tired of throwing out moldy citrus fruits. Now, when you put that in your next book, be, be, be sure to send that <laughs> Be sure to send that You bet. <laughs> you yes. bet. And my other, my other discovery was the result of not having to care for a, a sick parent and uh, with a small child having to raise and a garden that was producing so many tomatoes I couldn't get through them. Um, I found out you could wash and dry the tomatoes, stick them in a freezer bag and stick them in the freezer. And when you, you want them, you dunk them in boiling water to skin if you need to. And you cook with them, you can't use them in salads, but it's great savings on them, on having to buy canned uh, tomatoes and stuff in winter. So. That's one that we use. We have a bunch of tomatoes in our garden and, and no way to possibly go through them all. Exactly. And that's what I found. The skin pinches right off of a thawed tomato, a uh, whole tomato, which makes it so much easier than canning and, you know, boiling, pulling the skin off and storing them that way. Now, you organize your book um, according to a protein, um, or in the case of vegetarian, a vegetable, um, or vegetarian. Um, so you have beef, chicken, turkey. Um, what else do you have here? You have, um, well, what, what I'm aiming for is um, for you to just sort of demonstrate, pick like one of your favorite, cook once, and then the next day do what to it, recipes to get people the idea of how you change things up. Pick one. Right. Can you, right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Happy to. So the way that I meal plan through the week is I will. I like to serve my family plan on four home-cooked meal, dinners throughout the week. Between, you know, a Friday pizza night is what we like to do. We have a Sunday family dinner with a larger group uh, or with my parents and sisters, for example. Um, and then I always have some sort of a spaghetti and meat sauce night for our, my daughters. They really love that. And so that oh, little kids love meals. that. They do. And it's just nice as a mom to have that win in your back pocket that you know dinner is going to be uh, well received. And so what I do for those other four meals throughout the week is I will choose two dinner series in this book. So the way that Cook Once Dinner Fix is organized 
is in what I call dinner series, and they're sets, pairs of dinners that work really well with each other. They're totally different flavors and totally different meal experiences, but they both use the same main ingredient. And so what happens is, is that you do the prep for meal two. You give yourself a really good head start on meal two by just making meal one. And so, for example, what I'll do for dinner is I'll pull maybe a meal out of the poultry section. So there's a roasted chicken and vegetables, for example, for your first meal. Very straightforward, delicious roasted chicken. And we'll roast that chicken. And for dinner, let's say on a Monday night, I will serve the sliced chicken breast with the roasted vegetables for my family and then save the thighs, legs, and wings in the refrigerator that are already cooked for when we're ready for chicken again. And maybe we're ready for chicken again on Wednesday, so the day after next, just to give ourselves a break from chicken. Uh And when Wednesday rolls around, I turn that already cooked chicken. I start on a skillet on the stove, and I make a really simple, uh, sticky, sesame chicken-style sauce, an Asian-inspired dish. And I'll pull that together on the skillet, toss in our already cooked chicken from the thighs that I've peeled off the thighs and the legs and the wings, and stir that in and serve it over fluffy white rice. So that meal comes together so quickly, uh, but the majority of the cooking of the chicken, the more difficult part, is already done. And then on Tuesday, I like to alternate those days with a different protein. So maybe I'll pull a dinner series out of, let's say, the seafood chapter. There's a whole roasted salmon filet. Oh, I love that one, by the way. I was going to mention that next. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, good. Um, I love this one. And so you roast it. You know, when you've ever been to uh, the seafood counter at the grocery store, it can feel sometimes intimidating when you're looking at all of these cuts. And I say lean in, grab the entire salmon filet, roast it with this really delicious, herby, um, mayo-based crust. Uh, with some roasted vegetables, potatoes on the side, and serve that for meal one. And I would serve that on Tuesday, right? So we went chicken and now salmon on Tuesday. We're going to chicken again on Wednesday. And then half of that leftover already roasted salmon turns into a delicious salmon cake that we get to enjoy (laughs) on Thursday. (laughs) And you pan sear green beans. I've never even thought of doing that. Yes, it's so, oh, they're so delicious. Those blistered, pan-seared green beans are some of our favorite. Well, let's let's actually emphasize something that's very, very helpful is your section, the chart, on dietary restrictions. Because, I mean, a lot of people really are at a loss as to, well, you do that for a living. You teach people how to eat, right? Mm-hmm. And what to eat. Well, you have a whole graphic thing here, a whole section of chart. Um, Just tell us what that tells you. Yeah, happy to. So as a holistic nutritionist, a part of my job in recipe development, or at least a part of what I, the job I've given myself when it comes to recipe (laughs) development, is to really it's on my heart to make sure that folks who have special dietary restrictions or requirements still feel seen and supported by recipes. And, for example, if I'm hosting 
folks over at my in my own home for a meal, I want to make sure that everybody can eat everything on the table. That's something that's just really important to me so that nobody feels excluded and it's the same meal experience. And I believe that as the cook, sometimes we can task ourselves with more work than really is necessary, you know, making two and sometimes three versions of a dish um, to accommodate different dietary needs. And so what I like to do is recommend folks boil it down to the lowest common denominator. What can everybody eat? And then go make that. And so what we've done in Cook One's Dinner Fix is at the very back of the book, like you referenced, there is a chart. And it's actually written out on every single dinner series. So there are uh, 120 full meals, full dinners in this book. And on all of them you're going to find if there is a tested and proven substitution for maybe it's grain-free, dairy-free, egg-free, nut-free, you name it. And it's going to show you if that dinner is already dairy-free or if there is a dairy-free option. And so hopefully that allows you to just really, you know, provide, puts a good compass in your hand and allows you to really navigate how are you meal planning, whether for your family or for gatherings. Well, I I must say, Cassie, um, listeners, if if you want something that's both instructional and um, inspirational, get this book, Cook Once Dinner Fix. It's it's Cook Once, Eat All Week, and um, and, and, and do it with nutrition really sort of sculpted specifically to you and your unique needs. Well, Cassie, thank you for talking to us about this, and I wish you... Um, a happy labor <laughs> and delivery, <laughs> and, and good and good success with your book too. And what do they say? The stars are at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. Thank y'all so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Cassie. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Um, First, I want to correct my mispronunciation of our our last author's name is I don't know how it slipped up on me because her name is Cassie, not Casey. And Cassie is one of my most favorite names. But anyhow, uh, the author is Cassie Joy Garcia, which is a wonderful name that should just roll off your tongue. What are we going to do next, my dear? (laughs) Next up is uh, another interesting name, Cal Petronell. And uh, the title of his book is great also. It's called... Birth, toast, and other disasters. Oh, Cal, that's enough. Yes. Uh, hello. Yeah. I, I, I had such a lot of fun reading your books because you've got a, such, you've got such a wonderful sense of humor, and, and oh, you thanks. pinpoint everything. Um, and how yeah. this current book we're going to be talking about is called Birth, Toast, and Other Disasters. And it's something um, my experience knows very well. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Well, you know, we all make um, we all make mistakes, whether we admit it or not. Or and sometimes the mistake, you know, wasn't ours, but we have to fix it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, some of these things are, are really. I, I 
read about them and realized I automatically did them without even thinking through. Sure. Like your advice. They're kind of intuitive, sure. right? Yeah. I mean, I I think uh, a lot of us are, you know, um, it's uh, you know we're 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 sensitive to like wasting any kind of food and. So uh, if, you know, if you burn something a little or overcook it a little, it's always good to have a, a way to fix it or, or something to do with it. And so, you know, the book, the book is sort of divided into, the, into that. The burnt toast chapter is, is about, you know, when you get in the kitchen and you do just that, you burn something or you overcook it, uh, how can you fix your mistakes? But then there's also things that are kind of um, – other situations that you may find yourself in where you need to you need a fix you know you need a hack or a fix like when you yeah you know when your vegetables are are maybe looking a little tired maybe you should have cooked them a couple days ago but you got there they are and they're not bad but they're just not as great as they once were um you know or maybe they're perfectly fine but you're bored with them because it's the same old one you always get or well, you know, there's a, and there's a bunch of other options. And then I, I always think, you know, it's good to have a lot of sauces, a lot of sauce recipes, because uh, sauce can do a lot. <laughs> this is the truth. Um, also, we, we have so many, in our pantry, we have so many condiments now. Less, uh, actually, it's not just the, the uh, pandemic. It's just like everything happened. Yeah. No, I know. Me too. Uh, my so, my condiment. My favorite, I have this um, Japanese banchan sauce. I, I, mean, oh. I, I never used it. I put it on everything. <laughs> <laughs> I just squeeze it on everything. Yeah, yeah, right. So now you know. Give us a little brief rundown on your history because you have had some pretty extraordinary experiences in your career. Yeah. Um, so I, um, you know, I went to art school uh, and graduated with a, a bachelor's of fine arts and painting. And um, By the so way, I, I did the same thing. Did you? And, and, yeah. and, and, and we're not the only ones. There are so many people who've done the, the studio art, the artwork, and also the yeah. art history work, which I also did. Ruth Reichel also had um, mm-hmm. a, a master's in, in art history. I mean, it's just like they go together. They do art, kind of go together. Art history. Like. And, pardon me? Yeah, I think they do, right? It's all part of like, um, well, I think the people who are interested in art are often interested in culture in general. And, and food and food ways, of course, are 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 part of or an essential part of culture. Uh, so, so yeah, I went to art school in um, in Boston and New York, and um, and I worked in restaurants all during uh, that time, but but never as a cook, always as a um, as a, like a waiter or a bartender. And um, but then my wife and I moved to Italy, um, and in Italy we just I just became really excited about and even more interested in, in in food and the way it fit into people's lives and so when we uh when we returned we were there for almost two years 
um, when we returned, we moved um, to San Francisco, and I just, you know, I got a waiter job right away so I could start making some money, but I also started looking around at kitchens and just going to kitchens and telling the chef, you know, I, I don't really have experience, but I'm a, I'm a quick learner, and uh, I'll work hard. You won't be sorry. And eventually um, <laughs> a wonderful chef at a restaurant called Bix in San Francisco, a guy named Gordon Drysdale, uh, gave me a shot, and um, I don't think he regretted it. And I, um, I sort of moved along there through the stations. You know, and, um, I started in the prep, and then I did a little bit of salad, and then I was on the grill station. And then um, we decided to move back east, uh, my wife and I, and um, I got a, 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 you know, I started to work out in Boston, um, our first uh, child was born, and um, by that time I had uh, moved into a sous chef position at a restaurant in Cambridge called the Blue Room, and um, and then we decided to move to come back here again, uh, and we moved um, out here, and I, I started working at a wonderful restaurant uh, that's no longer, sadly, in. Um, San Francisco called Bizu uh, that was run by uh, Loretta Keller. And I worked there for a couple of years. And then I heard that Chez Panisse uh, in Berkeley, Alice Waters' uh, seminal restaurant, was was looking for cooks. And, you know, I just felt like it was such a legendary place. I just thought, oh, my oh, God, yeah. I, they're not going to hire me. I won't be able to work there. And, um, and my wife, uh, one Saturday, my wife and I were out um, doing our grocery shopping, and um, and we were going to the Cheese Board, which is a wonderful um, you know cheese store that's a collective, and it's right across the street from Chez Panisse. And she pulled up in front of Chez Panisse uh, in the loading zone, and I said, "Well, you can't park here. This is like a red zone." And she said, oh, I'm not parking. I'm dropping you off. Go in and get that job, you know. And I was like, well, okay. Um, and at that time we had our, I think, two- or three-year-old uh, kid in the car, and my wife and the kid drove away, and I went in. And um, and I did get the job and, um, and again, sort of worked my way up there uh, until I was a chef in the upstairs cafe and then eventually uh, moved to the, to the downstairs restaurant. I was there for a total of 22 years. I worked at, at Chez Panisse. I mean, I mean um, this is like amazing. Aren't you, when you look back on it, amazed? Yeah, I am. And, um, and so grateful to be, have been a part of that. Um, the, the sort of larger Chez Panisse family and to, um, you know, that was just a, I was already sold on what Alice was the way she thought about food that, you know, it sort of starts at the farm and at the market. And then, you know, you work seasonally and you, and you make your menus to, you know, based on what, what's best and you try not to do too much to it. And, um, but but now your book, your book, let's talk about your book. Um, I don't know if we say what it's called bird toast and other disasters. And yeah, of course, so let me repeat your name, Cal Petronel, because I think yeah. that's a fabulous name. Anyhow, um, you know, 
burnt toast. People would just turn their noses up at that. But uh, I, we interviewed that. Who's that woman at the oh, crap. Uh, in San Francisco? The um, tartine. Oh, um, Liz Pruitt. Who? Elizabeth Pruitt at Tartine? Yes. And, and, and they mm-hmm. have this whole archive of, like, thing of, the, of, of flavors. And one of them, mm-hmm. actually, is burnt toast. Oh, yeah. They used to make yeah. burnt toast. There you go. You, you, you would have helped along a lot, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, so, you know, this is my fourth book, and um, and... I, I, you know, this book came about when I was, um, actually, when I was visiting my parents in South Carolina. I talk about this in the beginning of the book, and I yeah, I read that. And and you know, we decided to to that I would cook some food, and they said, "What do you want to make?" And I said, "Oh, you know, I always like to just go to the market and see what's looking great." And I realized, well, what do you do if you go to the market and nothing really does look that great? Um, and I just started thinking about food access, and of course, I enjoy incredible access here in the Bay Area, but not everyone does. And um, so, you know, what do you do if you have just regular old supermarket uh, quality <laughs> stuff? That, um, you know, how can you make that the best it can be? And you know, I have some practice at that from when I visit my family. Um, visit my parents and also, you know, when I'm, we all have that. You go, go on vacation and you're a little bit out of your element and you want to cook, but you're not quite sure, you know, if you can get the right stuff. And so you cook with what you've got. And, um, and, and that's what this book is about. I'm really trying to meet, meet cooks where they are and, um, and help them to, you know, to lend them some of my skills and expertise so that they can make the, what they've got the best that it, that it can be. Um, and, and that could be something burnt, or, but it could also be like a package of, you know, like sometimes you just don't have time and you're really hungry. And yeah, Matt, I like your, your thing. I mean, I have not read anything about nor ever before uh, for yeah. like 45 years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... My that's mother, crazy. that was her standard go-to for doing brisket. I know. Nor and when I went to green and mushroom recipe, soup. I, I started looking around and I thought, oh, at first I couldn't find it. And I thought, you know, maybe that isn't even a thing anymore. <laughs> um, but it is. So, yeah, when you're going to, if you have to use something quick to kind of get some food into you quickly, like if it's a package of mac and cheese or if it's, yeah. or if it's a Norse soup mix, you know, here's, here's some ideas on how you can make it uh, really great. And I'm sure people have their own hacks. And yeah, well, we don't use Nor, but we have, what is it we use, Rabbit? There's that um, miso have, soup. It's called, it's called Kegelman miso soup. We put it everything. <laughs> but it's called oh, Umfit. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it gives it a little extra help. No, no, I mean, this it's is not, this it's is not is exactly product, cheating, it, but it's is a product, sort of like this cheating. This is a product name. Oh, almost, uh, almost oh, a fabulous, oh, actually. Everybody should yeah. have, in their Florida, they should have a whole big box of assorted oomph flavors 
O O M P H. That's a great name. It's very, um, it's very accurate name, I think. And you tried it? No, but it sounds uh, it sounds like I can imagine that it it is what it says it is, right? It could be well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a food snob, and I love it. So <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so no, you're no longer at um, uh, Chez Panisse. Um, right. are, are you doing consulting, cookbook writing? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, well, I left and I I finished um, up my third book and then and then worked on this book since I left there. I also um, with a, a partner, a wonderful um, uh, audio producer named Christina Loring. Uh, and I created a, a podcast called Cooking by Ear. Um, oh, and that ran for two seasons. You can still get it. And um, it's it was so fun to make. And I I, I still dream of, of reviving it. But, um, you know, it was a podcast that taught you how to cook. And you could cook along with us. And we always had a guest that I would – that would sort of stand in for the, the listening um, – audience so i would you know just to and keep me from getting too chefy you know someone who we'd get someone who wasn't a, a professional cook but but liked to cook and i teach them how to make something and and then in the interstices while the water was boiling or the onions are cooking we'd talk about other stuff we'd talk about art or life or kids or so our first guest was the actress Frances mcdormand we had um a couple of directors mira nair and Alexander um, Payne. We had uh, oh, we had a lot of we had a poet. We had a couple of, um, of drag performers. We had so many well, great know, people. I mean, and, uh, we started this pleasure. except for the Splendid Table. We the oldest podcast about food, for and food, we started yeah. it in two thousand four. And I didn't even know what a podcast was, but the station right. that I'm just and, um, and of course, there's so many other people now. I, we can't even quit. People keep demanding we produce again and again. It's a, we're mm-hmm. finishing up 18 years. Why? Why wow. do people? Why are people so? Huh? That's amazing. But why are people so involved with this? Um, because people are, people are involved with food, right? No, you know, it's just different. Has... The podcast thing is a different thing. And our podcast is also, we also interview all these people that people like to hear about. But there's something different. I don't know what it is. And I don't understand well, it. I mean, I think part of it has to do with uh, just simply the fact that you can, it's pretty accessible to to someone who wants to create a podcast um you know, you can do it with um, re- on relatively cheaply and with uh, without a whole lot of um, capital investment and a lot of, and re- honestly, not with even a whole lot of expertise. I mean, I, to to do what what Christina and I were doing took all of her expertise to put it together so that it so that it really worked and you could cook along in real time. And you know, she did a lot of uh, expert editing, um, but. You know, if you were just making a um, a different kind of podcast, I you know I think that's the I think that's why, and I, I think it's wonderful that there's so much content and so many people have 
access to be able to create that content. Right. Now, what do you do day to day now? Um, well, I'm writing um, some more. I'm trying uh, my hand at writing some um, some non. Right now, I don't feel like I particularly have another cookbook in me, so I'm trying to write some fiction, writing some stories and uh, some That's what I want fiction. to do. I would like to write fiction, but I can't think how to do it. Yeah, well, that is very hard to get yourself motivated, and it's very easy to procrastinate uh, around writing. Um, yeah, funny, funny so I'm doing that, and then I, I do some some cooking for you know private um, clients, like a sort of catering things. And the restaurant world is so hard. Um, it was always hard uh, in terms of like the amount of work you have to do and the amount of money that the margins were so small. And then of course the pandemic just made it even harder. Um, oh, hey. I mean, we've really, um, we kind of just shifted to, to trying to help the people in the industry survive. I mean, it was basically I know. It. Yeah, so I go to my friends' restaurants and help them try and help them survive. And um, and I don't know. I'm thinking about maybe I'll maybe I'll dip back in a little bit. You know, the the, the downside to the upside to cooking for a private um, clients is that, you know, the money's good and, the um, you know, there's not a whole lot of, like, the stress level is lower. There's not a lot of managing and hiring and firing and drumming up business and stuff like that. Um, the downside is you kind of do it on your own. It's a little bit isolating, and I feel a little bit um, removed from the community. Um, so who knows? Maybe I'll, maybe I'll jump back in at some point, but I'm enjoying – having the opportunity to uh, to do some other writing uh, when I'm not cooking. So that's good for me now. Well, I have to tell you that I mean, the, the thing I enjoyed the most about this book is you have this really devastatingly sharp sense of humor. <laughs> mm, thank you. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, good. It's always good to hear that because, you know, you, you think like, well, it seems funny to me, but um, so I'm Oh, no, I mean, I, I, I just love it. Then I can't even remember. I had all these things marked on my book, but I can't remember what they were. I mean, the, the mm. names of your dishes and the stuff. I mean, you're just hilariously funny. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I appreciate the book. Yeah. Again, listeners, it's Cal... Petronel, and it's called mm-hmm. Burn Toast and Other Disasters. And, and you will just, it's its a page turner. It really is, actually. Most cookbooks I get are not page turners, I have to tell you, Cal. <laughs> well, I, you know, some of my favorite cookbooks are ones that I rarely cook from, but I just love to read. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you know Fergus Henderson's um, oh, okay. wonderful books. And he's so um, funny, and his wife. He I mean, is, God, I mean, he is yeah. so funny, and uh, but and a real inspiration, and um, a good writer. And I've always loved Elizabeth David's writing, and um, you know Richard Olney's a great writer, and oh, well, yeah, uh, and then there's much, there's plenty of newer ones but i like those because they they have that sort of um 
you know, they tend to be a little discursive and uh, and funny, and I like that. So. Oh yeah, funny. I hope funny, I fit funny. in that category. <laughs> well, I enjoyed the book. Enjoyed the talk. And Cal yeah, me too. It now, and remember, listeners, it's called Burnt Toast and Other Disasters. And I mean, believe yeah. me, you've had these things happen in your life, and you're going to need this book. So get it. Yeah, you're going to be able to fix it. <laughs> yep, yep. I always, I'm saying to everyone, may all your may all your mistakes become fantastic successes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us, Cal. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me on the show, Peter and Anne. I'll talk to you soon again. Bye. Well, it's kind of nice to know that that there are little escape routes or little mishaps in the kitchens. (laughs) You know what we're talking about here? Yeah, and, and, and Cal just has this wonderful sense of humor. I really admire that. At any rate, that does it for us today. And uh, until our next program, same time. Same place next week. Yeah, so until then, bye-bye.